I'm guessing it's my turn. <laughs> it is now, right? <laughs> well, it's an honor uh, and a privilege to stand before you and, and in just a moment look into God's Word. I'm going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever you have uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be encouraged by God's Word this morning. Uh, as you turn there, uh, let me just take a moment and introduce ourselves. My name is Daryl. It's my wife, Brenda, right there. Uh, we have been married uh, 42 years, uh, 43 years in August. Is that correct? No. It's not correct? 42 in August. Well, I'm buying lunch today <laughs> and jewelry. Uh, if she has to leave, um, we have six children. Uh, we have 18 grandchildren, and our 19th is on the way, and our daughter began to have labor pains last night. And so if she has to leave, I'll need a ride home from somebody, okay? Because if the water breaks, she's out of here. And so uh, keep my daughter Angie in prayer as uh, grandbaby number 19 is uh, on the way. And we tell people, when God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, we took that as a personal challenge. Uh, didn't realize that was given to mankind, and he had a little more scope in mind, uh, but it is a privilege to stand before you. Uh, we, uh, we serve uh, about 200, I'm trying to find my Bible, about 250 churches um, in the Atlanta Empire. And uh, so my main responsibility is, I spend a lot of time with pastors and church leaders in kind of a coaching friendship relationship. Uh, Brenda has a, a lot of ministry to pastors' wives. We're highly intentional in that. And, uh, and then our staff does a lot of training. We, we just believe our, our responsibility is to help each church be what God's called that church to be. Uh, it's one body, many members. And so we get to enjoy the diversity of the body of Christ and the unique expressions of the body of Christ. On a, we're in a different church every Sunday and as we work together uh, to serve God in this area. Um, quickly, God, God has placed you and I in, in a remarkable place for ministry. Uh, our boundaries that we serve is Temecula to the south, roughly the 57 freeway to the west, 134 up through Big Bear, and then kind of to the north, and then on the other side of Coachella Valley on the east up through 29 Palms. Um, and there's a few churches outside of that that, that uh, are part of us. Inside that circumference is about 5 million people. Um, and to give you the idea of where God has placed you and I, uh, if that was a state, if the Inland Empire were a state, we'd be the 23rd largest state in the United States. Wikipedia has 144 nations, excuse me, 288 nations by population. We'd be the 119th largest nation on this planet. And we are more diverse. Most of the world is not that diverse. Inland Empire is wonderfully diverse and very unique. And the one part of California that's still growing, um, we're in the Gateway building. We moved here years ago, Gateway did, because people are moving here. And so there's about, they say in the next 10 years, about another 1.2 million are moving in. And so enjoy these empty freeways <laughs> while you can. They're about to get crowded, all right? Uh, but a great place for ministry, a very strategic place for ministry. And, and the size and the diversity and the scope just demands that we work together to advance God's kingdom. And so there's about 250 other churches that are just so grateful that you're a part of us and look forward to what God's going to do here and, and through us together. Would you do me a favor and just bow your heads for one more prayer, please? And it's just a really one-sentence prayer, but it really seems to make a difference. 
And the one sentence prayer is between you and God, and the sentence is this. God, would you speak to me personally through your word this morning? Just a very important prayer. God, would you speak to me personally through your word this morning? Father, I agree with that. We hear so many messages from so many different directions every day, it seems like. Many we know are not from you. Some sound like they could be from you. Have our own heart to manage and all of that as well. But your word is truth. As Peter said, you have the words of life. Help us this morning to put aside the disappointments or struggles of last week, the demands of even the rest of this day. Just for the next few moments, Lord, help us to focus on your word, your Holy Spirit. And would you speak to each one of us personally, including the one who is speaking, the words that we need to hear. May we listen with the intent of receiving those words, because we truly trust you in what you say in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in verse 4, and this is the New King James, uh, every translation is pretty similar on this. In 1 Peter 2, 4, Peter writes these words, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As I read that passage, the word that comes to my mind is the word contrast. It is a contrast. And Peter's premise, if I could draw one out of this short passage, is that going through life with God is better than going through life without God. It's that simple. Now that's important because sometimes we forget that. And sometimes, when you say other believers, they have forgotten that. They think about, well, the way is narrow, and the cost of discipleship, and the way is hard, and there's a price you must pay, and so many things you can't do as a Christian. And, 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 and it sounds like being saved and the path to, to serving God is this difficult, hard journey, and it does have its demanding moments. But I'll tell you what's harder than going through life being saved going through life not being saved, not having accepted Jesus Christ as person, not having the Holy Spirit live with us, not having these words guide us as we navigate life. And that's kind of the premise that Peter builds this on. It's just a contrast. He kind of begins in verse 6 by saying, there is a truth that is contained in the Bible. In other words, you'll find it everywhere. It's just contained in Scripture. 
You'll not find this truth in one place. You'll probably find this truth in every place. And he used the analogy, uh, he used the building analogy of a cornerstone. And the analogy that the word describes itself, it is the stone they put in the corner. Look, the more you repeat, the more you interact, the quicker we get out of here, all right? Just telling you right now, if I tell a joke, you laugh, it's even quicker, all right? So it's the cornerstone. And obviously, they would use great care in selecting that cornerstone because here's the building truth. The entire building got its direction from that cornerstone. If the cornerstone was uneven, you would have what type of walls? We'll be out here in 15 minutes. This is doing good. <laughs> that may have been a lie. If it was crooked, what kind of walls would you have? Crooked. So, so, the, so the truth, and he goes, here's the truth found in Scripture. We're to get our sense of direction in life from God. It's just, it's just that's found from Genesis to Revelation. And so that truth is found in Scripture. I like it at the end of verse 6 where he says, He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. We've got to break that down. Believes on him just doesn't mean you believe Jesus was around or that he was. It means to believe on him the way the Bible tells us to. And that goes back to the gospel. And you know the gospel. If not, I need to share it with you. It's really important because it factors in here. The Bible simply says that God is absolutely holy and perfect, and the Bible says we are not. Amen? Simple enough. The Bible says because He is holy and perfect and we are not created two really big problems. Problem one is separated us in our relationship with God. That is eternal consequences. Problem number two, on our own we can't fix problem number one. That's a big problem. Christ said in essence, no problem. I'll come to earth as God, live a sinless life, Give my life upon Calvary, be resurrected as proof of my sacrifice was accepted to God, and through faith in me, you can have your walk with God, your relationship restored. That's what believe on him means. Now, what I like about that, he says, by the way, if you've done that, those who've done that will by no means be put to shame. And it's the idea of just being undone and utterly embarrassed and disgraced beyond measure. Just, just take your worst form of embarrassment and disgrace. That's what this word means. And it means before God. He said, for those who are saved, they'll never experience that before God. Then they will stand before God and feel disgraced or feel embarrassed or feel ashamed or because of our faith in Christ as our Savior. Now, I think it's interesting. Peter says in verse 7, those who've done that, and I believe it's a passage of contrast, his first conclusion is that makes Christ precious. I believe Peter's point is this. That alone makes Christ precious. If he saved us and never blessed us, if he saved us and never used us, if he saved us and never protected us, the fact that he saved us from wrath from God and disappointment before God, being undone before God. If all he did was that alone, Peter says that alone makes him precious. But he does save us and bless us. He does save us and use us. He does save us and protect us and provide us all those things that God does. Peter says it doesn't matter. If he just saved us and that was it alone, that alone makes him precious in Peter's eyes. But it's a passage of contrast. So for those who believe in verse 7, he is precious. 
But to those who are disobedient, those who choose not to believe, Peter makes three interesting observations. He said, for those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So, so here is what Peter points out. Rejection of Christ changes nothing about Christ. Rejection of the truth doesn't change the truth. Just because I reject the truth doesn't mean it's not true. He says, guess what? They rejected Christ. You know what? He's still the cornerstone. Rejection of Christ changes none of the truths about Christ. They're just rejected. For years, I've served as a law enforcement chaplain. I know I serve with Redlands PD. Let's say that you are in Redlands, and you're going down Redlands Boulevard, and the speed limit is 35, and you feel the need to go 50. And a car pulls behind you with those red visitation lights. You ever seen those? And the light says, I want to visit with you. Anybody? Here? Nobody has ever been pulled over this entire... One... Oh, yeah, now it's time for... Your pastor? <laughs> Confession is good for the soul, right? And so you pull over. He says, listen, you're going 50 and a 35. That's speeding. You go, you know what, officer? I'll tell you what. I appreciate the job you do. But I've read the Constitution. And I think, I've, I think speeding laws are unconstitutional. I think you should be allowed to go as fast as you want to. And if you get in trouble, you, you suffer consequence. But I, I just think you don't have a right to give me a ticket according to the Constitution. What's he going to say? Sign here and tell it to the judge. He said, I'll do that. So you go before the judge and you say, sir, uh, I, I believe I have a constitutional right to speed. You know what you're going to find at that moment? The judge's interpretation of the law matters more than yours. Amen? Years ago, I was on a plane from Dallas to uh, Ontario. And uh, I did what everybody did on a plane. You get in a plane, I got, on, I, I got late, and so my penalty was the middle seat. Amen? I get in this middle seat, there's a guy next to me. And I do what everybody else does. I pick up my laptop, and I start working on a message because I'm a pastor. They're watching movies, I'm working on a message. Guy starts looking at my screen, which is incredibly rude. And so I turn the, and he looks, what's going on here? He goes, are you a Christian? I said, yes. Is you a Bible thumper? I'm thinking, you're about to find out. I was thinking that. I was thinking that. Okay. He goes, well, I don't believe that there's consequence for rejecting God. In fact, I don't believe there's life after death. I said, okay. He said, if you'll take... 20 minutes, I'll tell you why. Three-hour flight. I said, share. Ended up being a pretty nice guy. And he talked about philosophies and world religions and, and all kinds of stuff. He said, what's your response? I said, here's my response. When you're on trial, it's not what you believe that matters, it's what the judge believes that matters. And you don't believe, you, you believe there's always to God, God doesn't. You believe there's no consequence for rejecting Christ. God does. When you're on trial, it's not what you believe that matters. It's what the judge believed that matters. That's Peter's point. He goes, they rejected Christ. Didn't matter. He's still the cornerstone. Rejection of the truth doesn't change the truth. 
He's being cornerstone. It's not about uh, Supreme Court rulings. It's not about ballot measures. It's not about popular polls or opinion. It's not up for vote. God says he's the cornerstone, which means he's the cornerstone. <laughs> That's Peter's first point. And, <laughs> and there's a nice play on words here. There really is. A stone of stumbling. Now, a stone is what you think. It's a contrast. It's a rock at a moment. It's just a small stone. Describe something that you just trip over, that you don't see, right? We've all done that. We've all walked along, tripped over something we didn't see, right? That one's easier than to ever get a ticket, right? <laughs> and Peter says, you know, he does that. He does that in people's lives. And in fact, really, he does that in everybody's life, even before they're saved. You're just going along, you think you're fine, and then the truth just smacks you in the face which can be very challenging. There's some good friends of ours. His name is Tom, and his wife came to our church, and then, of course, she was praying for him that he would come, and he came. Ended up committing his life to Christ. But I remember a couple of months later we were talking, because, you know, the first time I came to church, I left angry. Wow, that's not, not the kind of goal, not what we're aiming at. <laughs> we don't want people to leave angry. And he goes, why? He goes, well, he goes, my, my grandparents had taught me this truth about God. And because of that, I called myself a child of God my entire life. He said, I came to your church. You talk about accepting Christ. I've never done that. You see, you're, you're not a child of God. That made me angry. It's a stone of stumbling. It's going along, thinking you're doing fine, and then God lovingly lets you know that you're not. And that can be hard in people's lives. We need to be sensitive to that when we minister to them. Because sometimes it's what a grandparent taught or a well-meaning neighbor or someone they respected and loved highly. And all of a sudden, you mean what they taught me wasn't entirely right? That can be challenging. And so Christ becomes a stone of stumbling. That's not necessarily bad unless what happens next takes place where he becomes a rock of offense. That's pretty intense. Christ goes from a stone of stumbling, something kind of trips them up because they think they're doing fine, and God says, oh, by the way, you're not. And it goes from that to a rock of offense. Here God comes to them with the purest of motives, with the purest of love, and lets them know that what they're doing is not working. And only do they not appreciate God for doing that, they become offended at Him. You ever had someone who needed help, really did, and you offered to help them, or you did, and they got indignant at you? Ever happens? You, you, you really was trying to help. You knew they needed it. Here, let me help you. I don't need that. Well, who do you think you are? It's like, whoa. I'm just trying to help you out here. Don't get mad at me. It happens to God every day. Every day. Every day, God reaches out to people with the purest of motives, the purest of intents, the purest of love. 
And they end up being angry and offended at him for reaching out to them and confronting them in a loving way and sometimes with an aggressive way with the truth. Wow. That's a passage of contrast. I love the first two words of verse 9. But you. Mm. Those are great words, aren't they? But you. <laughs> You're not offended at God. You're not angry at God. You don't resent God for tracking you down. <laughs> yeah. I, I accepted Christ when I was 15 years old. It seems like I accepted Christ um, in March. It seems like February through March, I was being hunted down by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he was just relentlessly pursuing me. It's like everywhere I went, I just kept bumping into Christians who felt the need to share the gospel. It's like, good gracious. <laughs> it's like everywhere. <laughs> I'm not offended at God for doing that. I appreciate God that he did that. My wife can testify to this. If you say to me, I'm going to tell you this once and once only, I wouldn't get anything. <laughs> I needed the Holy Spirit to track me down and pursue me and bring multiple people into my lives from different directions. But you, not angry at God, not offended at God, not angry that He wants our sense of direction to come from Him. We understand that. What two beautiful words in this passage of contrast. And we're just going to camp on one of these. He says, but you, and these are just beautiful words. But you are a chosen generation. An Old Testament example, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. I like the way this translation makes the next line. His own special So I understand that phrase. It describes something that is special because of how it's owned or how it's used. I'll give you an example. If I, if I had a, let's say I have a pin on me, which I didn't bring the object lesson. Let's say I have a pin. And, uh, and, and, you, and I give you that pin after church, and you put that pin on eBay. Say, this pin was used by Daryl Lackey. I wouldn't even bid on it, okay? <laughs> You'd be very disappointed <laughs> at the bid you didn't receive. But if that pen was used to sign an important document, or a significant person owned that pen, because of how it's used or because of who owned it, its value is increased significantly. That's what this word means. This word says, you know, Daryl, let's be honest. On your own, you weren't much. But because of who owns you, who purchased you, because of who uses you, you're incredible value in the eyes of God. You are His own special people. What a great verse. 
What a great contrast. Goes on to say that you, pro- that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There's lots of reasons God leaves us here after we're saved. (laughs) Peter probably dwells down on one of the most important. That we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the reasons he leaves us here after we're saved is that we would proclaim his praises. I think if you surveyed our 250 churches and asked, how do you do that? I believe the number one answer would be worship. I think the number two answer would be witnessing, just sharing with people what God's done in our lives. When it comes to, but because proclaiming requires something verbal to happen. (laughs) And so I think we do that for worship. We proclaim his praises and through just talking to people about God, we proclaim his praises. I have found in my spiritual journey, the first one's easier. Anybody else? (laughs) I find it's easier to proclaim his praises through worship, and that's much less intimidating, much less risky than what we call witnessing. I believe Peter gives here the great motivator to help us do that, the second one, and it's gratitude. It's gratitude. It's not guilt. It's not obligation. It's none of that. It's not duty. It's we proclaim God's praises to others out of a deep sense of gratitude about what he's done in our lives. When something good happens to us, we usually can't wait to tell others. Amen? What's your name? Liam. Liam. So let's say after church, Liam gives me and Brenda $5,000, which I believe God's leading you to do, just for the record. (laughs) Just want you to know, all right? (laughs) I would tell everybody, look, I went to the church, came bridges. Afterwards, this guy walked in named Liam and just gave us $5,000. And I would look for reasons to tell people about that because I would genuinely be grateful. (laughs) When you're genuinely grateful... It's easier to tell people what you're grateful about. Amen? That's the motivator here. It's share me with others, God says, because of the gratitude you have of what I've done in your life when I saved you. We bought a home in Lake Isabella where I was pastoring. We bought what was the drug house in the neighborhood, okay? And so there was all kinds of brush. It appears that people that sell drugs don't want to be seen, the best I can figure. So there's all this overgrown brush and these trees in our house. And we go to work methodically removing them. 
Behind our house, between our house and the fence, was a a bush, I guess. I called it a weed that was on steroids. And I just could not get that thing out of the ground. At the same time, a a young lady would come to our church, and she accepted Christ, and she was concerned about her husband, and he was not coming at all. He was young, he was successful, he had no need for God any place in his life. But he owned a construction company, and he had a backhoe, and that's a tractor with a scoop on it. She said, hey, he'll come dig that thing out. I'm thinking, yes. He will come, dig the weed out, I'll share the gospel, he'll get saved, win-win. He goes to heaven, I lose my weed, it's a good deal. <laughs> and so he comes down the road in the tractor, because in Lake Isabella we drove our tractors down the road. <laughs> Knocks on the door. He goes, where's the weed? I thought, well, that's been said here before. Different story, right? <laughs> and I said, it's in the backyard. He drove around back, dropped the scoop, pulled it out, threw it through the gate, and left. I thought, well, I'm glad the weed's out, but I really wanted to share the gospel. It just didn't happen. But God was at work, and his life began to fall apart. And in a very short time, he's in our front room, and Acknowledged Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He was a raw new Christian. He, he didn't know there was an Old and New Testament. He didn't know there was a book of James. But he was saved. He's at our house a lot. He'd come over and ask questions. I'm a Baptist pastor. I have a three-point message in every question you ask. <laughs> One day he's over and asked some question. And away I went. He goes, Daryl, Daryl, stop. He said, Daryl, I think you forgot how good it feels to get saved. (laughs) And he is right. I've been saved so long. I forgot what it's like to not know God. I forgot what it's like to be afraid to die. I forgot what it's like when this book was just so hard and impossible and made no sense to me whatsoever. I had been saved so long, I'd forgotten what it felt like to be saved. Peter says, you know, Going through life is so much better with God than going through life without Him. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we lose track. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with the demands of Christianity, we forget the joy of being saved. Peter just, I think, in this passage reminds us that if all he did was save us and did nothing else for us ever again, that single act of Christ alone in our lives makes him precious. Bow your heads. About 30 minutes ago, can I remind you of our prayer? The prayer was, God, would you speak to me personally? 
this morning. Remember that? Not because I'm much of a speaker, but because that prayer means a lot to God. I believe he has. Here are some possible responses. Number one, you might need to be saved. If you've never accepted Christ, acknowledge Christ, understood that gospel thing, now's the time. Or if you have questions about that, Brian's here afterwards, other leaders, you track one of us down. We'll, we'll graciously and without pressure just answer your questions from the Word of God. But if you're here and you're saved, the response might be, uh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> just thank you. I have lots of things in prayer I could ask for, and I actually need to. But for this moment, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the truth with me. Thank you for confronting me. Thank you for pursuing me. Lord, I just want to go back to the time when I became yours. I want to say thank you. And help me live in the gratitude of that moment. Father, I love your word. I love the honesty of your word. And Father, I like these messages because they remind me of what you have graciously done in my life. And Father, I join in this room in saying thank you. Thank you for suing a 15-year-old smart aleck kid who had nothing going for him. And thank you for bringing those people into my life that shared your word verbally and modeled your word as I lived around them. And Father, I say thank 